Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, we are in our series, A New Message, and so take your Bibles and let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 this morning, and um, as you're turning there, I want to ask you if you can remember a time in your life when you attempted to accomplish something that was extremely challenging, and I'm not talking about driving to church today. (laughs) Can you remember a time in your life when you attempted to accomplish something, maybe a sport or a personal goal of some sort? where you were attempting something for personal achievement, but you knew you had your work cut out for you. Great, I broke my wrist right before a, um, right before a trip to uh, Indiana for a family vacation, but I had signed up for a basketball tournament in Indiana for our vacation. We were there to play basketball with my cousin. And so four weeks before we went, I broke my wrist. And I remember as I was preparing to go out there, I was thinking, how can I play basketball with a broken wrist? I had a cast on and everything. And I remember my sister, my one sister, this is one of the very few times she encouraged me. (laughs) But my sister, Dina, who's just a few years older, eight years older than me, uh, she was a teacher at a Christian school there in the tournament I was going to be playing in. And I remember she, she told me, Dennis, learn to play basketball with your left hand. And I was like, but I'm, it's three weeks away. She said, that's all right, you can do it. And I remember I went out every day and I taught myself how to, because I was right-handed, I taught myself how to dribble with my left hand and shoot with my left hand and pass with my left hand. Now, I'm not saying it was good, <laughs> but I remember putting the work in and I just remember when I got to Indiana, my sister was saying, she was my biggest fan saying, hey, you've got this. Dennis, you can do this. Maybe you have a time in your life when you can reflect upon some time when you were attempting to accomplish something challenging. Aren't you thankful for the person behind you that was saying, hey, you can do it. You can move forward. Maybe it was a new job. Maybe it was playing a sport. Maybe it was the new pressure of marriage, trying to figure things out or parenting. Hey, we all need somebody behind us that is saying, you've got this. As we come to Revelation chapter two this morning in the series, New Message, I want you to know today that you have a new message from God, a new text message from God. And here's the message. You've got this. You've got this. How many of you realize that by now that life can be challenging? (laughs) Life has struggles. Life has deep valleys and life has some high mountaintops. But I want you to know what we're going to see today from Revelation chapter two, written to the church at Smyrna, but also for us, a message from God that simply is this. No matter what comes your way, because of Jesus, you've got this. I want you to stand with me if you would. Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two, and I'm gonna begin reading in verse number eight. Verse number eight down through verse number 11. We read these words, of course, written by John, voiced from Jesus to John. And he says this, under the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second 
death. Last week, we were with Jesus, as he wrote to John, to the church at Ephesus. And the message to the church at Ephesus was, hey, you are getting a lot of things right, but you're missing your why. You're doing a lot and accomplishing a lot, but you've forgotten your why. And what should our why be? Well, our why, the motive behind what we do, should be love. And that's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Hey, you have left your first love. Their message last week was you've forgotten your why, so hey, come back. The message to the church this week, it's not a message of correction. This is actually one of the seven churches that did not, or the the one of the seven churches that did not get corrected. It's a message of encouragement. And so I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know that life is a challenge and everyone needs encouragement. So today I wanna encourage you, would you just open your heart and would you allow God to speak into your life three words? And those three words are this, you've got this. Hey, you've got this. We're gonna be challenged by that and I believe encouraged today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Maybe in the quietness of your own heart, you would pray and just commit, God, I'm listening to you today. I wanna hear from you. And Lord, would you speak to me today and show me We love you, we thank you for your love, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. Today, we're going to to work our way through the passage. The message might be a touch different because instead of kind of having points as we go through, I'm just gonna kind of wrap everything up at the end and I'll give you four, four takeaways that we can have. But today, I really just kind of want to make our way through this passage so we can understand the context. Remember, we need to know some things. Of course, these are letters that are being written to actual churches in actual cities. Uh, The city of Ephesus was the first city that we came across. Uh, John was probably the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Remember last week, we talked about kind of the all-star cast that led the believers at Ephesus. You had Paul, and you had Apollos, and you had uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and you had Timothy, and then you had John. I mean, you talk about an all-cast leadership or an all-star leadership team. That's the team at Ephesus. These churches, if you go to study them out, they're actually in Asia Minor. It would be modern-day Turkey, all seven of the churches that were written about. If you were to kind of dive into the passage, you would find, as we did last week, Revelation chapter 1, that John is actually writing these letters because he has been persecuted Remember, they had put him in boiling, uh, boiling water, boiling uh, oil, really, to try to fillet him or burn him alive, but that didn't work. And so the emperor at the time said, fine, since I can't kill you, I'm going to silence you. And so he sentenced him to the island of Patmos. And so John from the island of Patmos would write to these seven churches. Now, what we need to know kind of about the seven churches, there are seven churches that would probably cover about the area of, of Grant County. So the churches, if you were to drive to them modern day, uh, it would take you about 30 minutes maybe, maybe 40 minutes just to get from one town to the next. So these churches weren't very far away from each other. And as the Lord speaks to John in John chapter number one, remember the book of Revelation can be very captivating, looking at end times. But the hope of Revelation is written at the beginning of, hey, church, this is written for you. I want to give you hope that even though some scary things are coming, I want to bring you hope and give you an opportunity to just keep walking with the Lord. Here's what's interesting. Those first two letters were written to the church at Ephesus and the church at Smyrna that we're going to see today. Those Those cities were port cities, So John is cast on the Isle of Patmos, but from the Isle of Patmos, do you know what John could see? If you look at a picture like this, this is background. That mountain range would be where Ephesus and Smyrna were. So as John is writing this, I mean, he can see home. Now you say, Pastor, why is that important? Because I think sometimes, and follow me for just a minute, 
I think sometimes when we read scripture, we dehumanize it. We, we take humanity out of it. And so we're thinking like, oh, well, this is Jesus writing to John. And so John's like, all right, Lord, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, all right, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, you know. And as I read this, man, my heart breaks for John because he's cast on this island expected to die Now, history would tell us that John actually didn't die. He would be brought back from the Isle of Patmos and live to almost 100 years old, and he would pastor the church at Ephesus until his death. But he's writing this with a burden. He's writing this to these people, and he says to the believers at Ephesus, people, and he says to the believers at Ephesus, come back to your first love. But then he writes to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna, modern day uh, Izmir, would be kind of our English translation. Smyrna was really not known for a ton of things, except Smyrna was known to be kind of, um, it was known to be kind of the, the hotbed, the breeding ground for Caesar worship. So Smyrna was one of the cities that if you were to go back and kind of remember some things about that time, uh, they had tons of different Greek gods that they worshiped and Roman gods that they worshiped, but Caesar was seen as God. Smyrna was the place that if you actually, if you wanted to uh, start a business, if you wanted to buy, sell, or trade, if you wanted to buy a new house, if you wanted to be involved in any sort of economic work, if you really wanted to make money, then once a year, it was required in Smyrna once a year that you would come and you would give an offering and you would declare Caesar is God. That's why Smyrna was kind of the, the, the known place that this happened, that when you were lived in Smyrna, you were expected. My loyalty is to the fact that Caesar is God. Okay, if we know that, that, that thought right there brings a lot of context to what we just read. In Smyrna, there was, of course, John who probably helped start the church at Smyrna. But in John's latter years, he began to disciple a man whose name was Polycarp. P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P, Polycarp. How many of you have heard the name Polycarp before? Okay, a good, probably about 30%. Polycarp would be discipled by John. He would train under John. What, a, what an experience. Well, history tells us that Polycarp actually became the pastor of the church at Smyrna. So Polycarp was used by God to lead the church at Smyrna. Well, in that church, and stay with me, we're just doing some stories to kind of connect us with the context. You still with me this morning? We're doing this context here. In the church at Smyrna, there was a young man that was a college-aged young man, probably 18 to 21 would be that age category. His name was Germanicus. Now, I want to tell you his story. In Smyrna, if you were just a Roman, then claiming your uh, followship to Caesar was fine. Yeah, Caesar is God, here's my penance, it's my tax, I'm leaving. But for the Christian, Smyrna was an extremely challenging place to live. And here's why. As a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can you say Caesar is God? I mean, well, yeah, you could just verbally say that, but those Christians back then, you know, they, many of them had that I feel like some of us probably don't have is they had courage to say, no, Caesar's not God. <laughs> so in Smyrna, Christianity was despised. And Smyrna was one of the places that Christianity was heavily persecuted shortly after the time of Christ. Smyrna was the place that if you, if you boldly stood against saying Caesar is God, 
If you did that one year, two years, three years, people might let it go. But if you begin doing that for five years and eight years and a decade, do you know what people started doing is people started saying, let's kill the Christians. So many of you know about the Colosseum and the Romans taking Christians and putting them in the Colosseum. They would do that in Smyrna. And in a Colosseum like this one, they would take Christians, followers of Jesus, and they would actually call them atheists. And they had a chant whenever they wanted to kill somebody and you could hear this echo through the streets of Smyrna when it would take place. If you ever wanted a mob to kill somebody, you would just start chanting down with the atheists. And pretty soon you would have a mob of people. And if you found somebody that you knew was a Christian, you would kill them. And so Germanicus, he's a 19, 20, 21 year old young man And the story tells us that he was one that boldly stood saying, no, Caesar is not God. And so they chanted down with the atheists and they took this young man into the Colosseum. They would do a number of games because it was entertainment. The people loved blood and guts and gore. And one of the things that they did that was most appreciated by the observers is they would take a person, a Christian, and they would put something on them, maybe some sort of meat or maybe some sort of blood. They would put them in the middle of the Colosseum and then they would set lions loose. And of course, most Christians would run and try to hide and try to fight it off. Well, that just made the lion more aggressive. And uh, many of you know a, a cat will play with its prey if it's fighting back. And so a lion would do that. Well, on this day, they sit down with the atheists and they took Germanicus into the Colosseum. And as they begin to shout down with the atheists and the lions came out, here's what Germanicus did. History tells us that he shouted down with the atheists. And instead of running from the lion, he ran to the lion and he made his death faster because he didn't fight back and the lion didn't play with him. And here's what happened. The people got enraged. Why? It wasn't bloody enough for them. And history says that the people got so enraged that they began to call for the death of other Christians just because of that one instance. Now, I stopped the story right there and we'll come back to it. Pastor, why do you tell us this story today? Because I want you to understand what they were living in. They were not living, the Christians then were not living in a Americanized Christianity that you and I live in. They were not openly singing and gathering like this. Uh, they, They would gather maybe in some caves and they would gather at houses and they would worship, but persecution was very, very high. Okay, knowing that, Let's dive into the passage. Let's just break it down one phrase at a time. John writes this. The angel, or the, the Lord says this to John, write, under the angel of the church at Smyrna, write these things, write this. Okay, remember, under the angel of the church at Smyrna, the angel is the messenger. All right, so who would that be? We broke this down last week. That would be the pastor. Okay, so we could assume this is a letter. Hey, John, write to Polycarp and let him know some things. Now, here's why we know that this isn't, and we can lean into this a little bit. Here's why we can lean into the the fact that this is not an angel, like with wings and all that. Here's why. Nowhere else in scripture, to my knowledge, nowhere else in scripture, does God tell a man to tell an angel something, to tell people something. That's not in scripture. God doesn't come to a man, hey, Leo, I want you to tell an angel. An angel's gonna visit you. I want you to tell the angel to tell the people of the church something, that we don't have that. And the word angel interpreted in the Greek to English literally just means messenger. Okay, messenger from God, messenger of God. So under the angel of the church at Smyrna, right. Here's what I want you to say to Polycarp. 
These things say at the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Hey, listen, there is so much hope in that phrase right there. I mean, there is so much encouragement in that phrase right there. This speaks of the titles of the Lord. Hey, here's who is authoring church at Smyrna. Now stay with me. Church at Smyrna, you are going through great persecution and you are being killed. He's writing a letter to you. The beginning and the end. He who was dead, but is now alive. I don't know about you, but if I'm reading this letter, that brings some encouragement. Why? This is the titles of God. Hey, I was dead too. I was killed too, but now I am alive. You know what the Lord is saying to them? I am the first and the last. I know the beginning of your story and I know the end of your story. And I know that you might be put to death, but he says at the end of the passage, you don't need to fear a second death. Hey, they, they can only kill you once. I am alive. Hey, church at Smyrna, you're going through persecution. You can have hope. Well, Why? because I'm alive. Man, what, a, what an encouragement. He continues. He says, I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. All right, works, what is that? Works, I know your actions, your effort, your deeds, your labor. I know what you are doing for me. Tribulation, I know the pressure and the persecution and the trouble that you're going through. And I know your poverty. Hey, I know that humanly speaking, you are a broke people. But then he reminds them, but remember, you're rich. Oh, hey, you're broke right now, but you're rich because you have eternity right around the corner. He continues with, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I know the blasphemy, the vilification, the evil speaking, the railing from those who say they're Jews and followers of Jehovah God, but they are not followers of Jehovah God. They are of Satan. Now, in the church in Smyrna, like many of the church, the first century churches, you would have Greeks and Jews joining together. Well, what you have in this is, if you can go to Acts chapter number six, you can read about this. In Acts chapter number six, Stephen was persecuted by Jewish followers of God. It was called the synagogue of the Libertines. These were Jewish followers of God that did not believe Jesus was Messiah. Okay, remember, who instigated the crucifixion of Jesus? It was the Jews. Jesus said, I am resisted, rejected of my own people. In Smyrna was the same thing. There were Jews like the Pharisees that were religiously pious and they would turn against their own people, their own nationality. They would turn against their own people. And here's what the Lord says to the church at Smyrna. I know the blasphemy of them. I know the evil speaking of your very own people, not Christians, but people who are supposed to be followers of God, Jews that follow God. Hey, they aren't followers of God. They are followers of Satan. It's the Lord saying to the believers at Smyrna, I know these are people that you should actually be friends with and should be able to trust because they claim to follow God. I'm just telling you, I know what you're going through. I know the blasphemy. I know this vilification that they're giving to you. And then he writes this, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. <laughs> fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Hey, here's what he's saying in these verses. I know you're suffering but I want you to know that there is more coming. And I want to say to you, don't fear whatever comes your way. Don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened. Don't be fearful of anything that comes at you because there are going to be hardships and the devil, the enemy, and the others, they are going to cause some of you to be put in prison and undergo trials. And there are a number of you that you are actually going to give your life for me. But through all of that, be faithful. 
Be faithful. Well, why should I be faithful? He says, be faithful unto death because I promise you, I will bless you. I will give you the crown of life. Is this a physical crown? We, we don't know. Some believe that. The martyr's crown of dying for the cause of Christ. Some believe that. But we don't know exactly what it is. But we do know it's a blessing. Hey, if you stay faithful through this, I promise I will bless you. He says, don't be overwhelmed by a spirit of fear. Things are not going to get circumstantially better for you. Isn't it interesting that we live in a culture, we judge our blessings by things that are circumstantially better. You feel blessed when there's no trials. You feel blessed, I feel blessed when we get a promotion. You feel, oh, I'm so blessed. Why are you so blessed? Cause I, I bought a house. I'm so blessed cause I got a new car. I'm so blessed because, you know, I have this great thing. I got a ray. I'm so blessed. You know what the Lord's saying to the church at Smyrna? Hey, you guys are blessed because you are suffering. <laughs> we look at blessing different than the Lord does. Hey, you are blessed. If you'll stay faithful and fearless through this, there's a blessing waiting for you. And then the Lord concludes this part to Smyrna by saying this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. What is this? Well, we saw the phrase last week. He that hath an ear, let him hear. This is anyone who hears this. Remember, this is an open letter. All seven churches are going to read all seven letters. And so the Lord is saying, hey, to anybody that reads this, it applies to you as well. Stay faithful, hear it, listen to it, apply it. And then that phrase, he that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Remember, this is not something you achieve. What is it that overcomes? Our faith. The overcomer is the one who is saved. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are an overcomer. And you know what the Lord is saying? We overcome by faith in Jesus. We know that, but this is not, this is not him saying, all right, if you overcome faith and per, or fear and persecution, this is the Lord just saying, hey, as a part of being saved, you are an overcomer. And every single person that's saved will not face the second death. All right. Ephesus, hey, I see you. I know your works. You're faithful. You're accomplishing a lot. But I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Hey, Ephesus, remember. Remember from where you are fallen. Remember your love for me. Return to me and repent. Have a change of mind. Hey, church at Smyrna, <laughs> listen, you guys are suffering. Hey, if I'm gonna put it into English, life stinks right now. You're being persecuted and killed for following me. But I just wanna encourage you, they can't kill you twice. And all you have waiting for you is heaven. Now, these words are weighty, but they're also encouraging. But what can we get from them? Okay, now I'm gonna be very honest with you. We sometimes think that we suffer. I want, I'm gonna be very blunt. You have it good. I have it good. I mean, as far as I know, and we may see a day where America faces persecution, but can I just tell you that we, we probably will never face what they faced. We, we don't have to worry about someone marching in today and saying, we're arresting all of you and feeding you to the lions. So just stay with me. Before we dive into some application, know that. Okay, because this is written to a suffering church. And if we're not careful, we can be like, oh, I just, things are so hard. 
Now, am I negating the hard that you and I go through? No. But when it comes to the context of scripture, we can't be like, all right, I'm like the church at Smyrna. I'm gonna stay faithful and fear. I'm gonna stay fearless even though people at work just park in my spot. Like, listen, our com- the comparison isn't there. Are we good with that? All right, so if we know that, here's some takeaways for us. Here's some takeaways. Number one, as you and I look at this portion of scripture, I want us to see four things. First, suffering is a part of life. Okay, now remember, they were suffering physical persecution. But even then, here's what Jesus said to them. I know your tribulation. I know your trials. I know your suffering. Can I encourage you this morning with this simple truth that you and I, we know this. Suffering is a part of life. Trials are a part of life. Pastor, why do you bring that up this morning? Listen, just because things aren't going well doesn't mean that God is not for you. I mean, here's what a lot of Christians do. We stub our toe. Oh, what did I do to disappoint you? Hey, listen, let's, let's listen to the church at Smyrna, what was written to them. They could, Germanicus could be in there and he could be saying, God, why are you allowing me to die? How did I disappoint you? Hey, suffering is a part of life. That's what Jesus even taught. Jesus said in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace or rest or complete contentment because in the world you are going to have tri- tribulation, trials, suffering. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hey, here's the hope, Christian. Suffering's a part of life, but that's okay because uh, I've overcome There is no way that we can compare the suffering we face to the suffering that they faced. As I stated, many of us will never undergo persecution that they faced and that others in our world are even facing right now. Here's what I will tell you. We think that persecution is centuries ago, but do you know that persecution of Christians is still happening right now? Right now in our world, let me give you some statistics. In 2021, it's estimated that nearly 5,000 people were murdered simply because they they were followers of Jesus and followed him in baptism. That's the estimated number. Now you look at the world and you say, well, that's not a lot. Uh, If you are in that number, it's a lot. (laughs) 5,000 people killed because they got baptized. They followed Jesus in baptism. You see, baptism is a death sentence in a lot of countries. Because baptism is saying, I am forsaking all of my past religion and my family ties. I am following Jesus. In 2022, that number was 5,621 believers that were killed, with, killed for their faith. That's, all, that's what we have on account. In 2022, 2,110 Christian churches were attacked. 4,542 Christians were unlawfully detained. You could travel to some countries in Africa like Nigeria where Christians are murdered on a weekly basis. You could travel to parts of India where right now Christians will get arrested simply for meeting at church on a Sunday and many of them will be killed. Some of them even burned alive in their own vehicles. You could talk to our friend Amos who pastored over there for years and had to flee the, he is from there, but he had to flee the country because of being a Christian. And now pastors over 700 people online every single week because they can't meet, they can't gather. But he said, I want people to know Jesus as savior. You could go to some of our friends who pastor and work with a closed country in the Middle East who when they go to ministry, they tell their family goodbye thinking this could be the last time I see them because I could die today. I'm thinking right now of one of our very close friends who has a number of times text me messages like, hey, Dennis, I just want to tell you I love you. Thank you for being my friend. 
I'm going into a very dangerous situation and I don't know if I'll come out. Two years ago, I got a text from him and said, hey, Dennis, pray for us. We're under attack and two of our closest friends in ministry just got killed. What, what do we do in, in American Christianity? We distance ourselves from that. <laughs> and we look at a job loss as persecution. Now, again, I am not trying to mitigate the suffering that you and I go through. I am not trying to demean the, the health situations that we go through. I'm not trying to take away from the fact that you and I, we too have hardship, but I'm just simply, I just wanna say today, you wanna talk about suffering. Hey, there are some believers around this world that need you and I to pray for them because they really are suffering. But what would the message be to them? The same message to them was the same message to us. Suffering is a part of life. What, what else can we learn from this? Well, the next thing that I see is this. The Lord knows our sufferings are our suffering and our successes. <laughs> the Lord knows our suffering and our successes. He says to this church at Smyrna, I know your works and tribulation and poverty. Hey, I know that things are hard. I know, when he says, I know your works, he's saying like, I know the good that you are doing, church at Smyrna. Hey, listen, church at Smyrna, you are being persecuted. I see the persecution. I see the suffering, but I also see the good. Hey, I see that you are faithful and I see that you are moving forward and I see that you are courageously standing up and dying for me no matter the cost. Can I just encourage you today, no matter what your situation is, the Lord sees it. Hey, God knows that, God knows that health situation that you are struggling with. God knows the work situation that you are going through. God knows the marriage situation or the family struggle that you are going through. Whatever suffering it is, God knows. And God knows your faithfulness to him. God sees the service that you give to him. God sees when you get up and you sing with a heart of praise to him, whether it's in your seat or leading on the, on the worship team, whatever it may be. God sees as you teach and as you serve and as you try to be faithful as a husband or a wife or a grandparent, God sees the, the work and the effort that you put in in the week just to walk with him and live for Jesus. Hey, the Lord sees that and the Lord sees your suffering. As I come to Revelation chapter two and I read these verses, these verses, I don't know what verses are, but as I read these verses, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that the Lord knows our suffering and the Lord knows our successes. I'm reminded of Psalm 139. When the psalmist wrote this, God, you know my down, you know when I sit down, you know when I get up, God, you understand my thoughts from a, a far away. Lord, you, you come past my path. That means you go before me and my lying down. And God, you are acquainted with all my ways. Go read Psalm 139. Here's what he says. I can't get away from you, God. You know me. Now, some people look at that and go, oh no, God's always watching. No, 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 no. Oh yes, God is always watching. Hey, that's a good thing. Man, it's a good thing when my dad would walk with me and there would be times in my life when I remember our church in Greeley. We passed, my dad pastored that church in Greeley for, uh, what, 15 years? And uh, right, right, we, the church there in Greeley, Greeley Baptist Temple was the church name. It was not in a good part of town, like ever. Like, that, it's still not in a good part of town. Like, we had drug busts in our parking lot all the time. And then we moved from there to Lakewood. I don't know what it was with my dad and, like, being in the ghetto. But <clears throat> I remember there was this alleyway that went by our church. And my dad, number of times, caught people doing drugs or uh, other things in that, in that alleyway. One guy, one guy tried to pull a gun on my dad in that alleyway, and my dad slammed the door on his arm and then grabbed the gun. And my dad, you know, he, many of you knew him. He's 6'5", you know, 250, 280 pounds. And man, it's like, you're an idiot if you're gonna draw a gun on him. <laughs> man, you know what I'd do, though? I'd walk out, and we live right across from that alley. So it was about, it was about a, um, maybe one of our city blocks to the church, from the church to the house. 
you know, there'd be some times I was just, you know, six, seven, eight years old. There'd be times that I would go out and I'd be looking across the alleyway, looking at our house and it's nighttime and I'm like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> hey, you know what my dad would do sometimes? My dad would walk outside of those glass doors right by the backside of the church. He'd walk out and he'd say, go ahead, son, I'll watch the entire way. You know when he did that, you know what I'd do? I'd go, okay. I'd just walk on over. Why? Because dad was watching. I didn't go, no, dad, don't watch because you don't know what I'm going to do. I'm scared if you watch, I might get in trouble. No, you know what I'd do? I'd just walk. You still watching, dad? I'd look back and see if he's still there. Hey, can I tell you, it's a good thing that God is watching over you. Man, when I read Revelation chapter two and the church at Smyrna, hey, suffering is a part of life, but the Lord sees and knows your success. He, he is watching. What else can we learn? Number three is this. The Lord encourages faith over fear. In anything in life, the Lord is courage, he encourages faith over fear. Verse number nine, fear none of these things. Hey, you are about to endure a lot. Suffering is coming. Don't be afraid. The end of verse number nine, be faithful. Instead, be faithful. This is faith over fear. You can go to the passage and you can find what I believe to be a great encouragement to these Christians. Hey, I'm going to give you faith that will help you endure. Hey, you are going to experience great suffering, but... Remember who's writing this? Okay, now, now here's what we need to see. Don't skip past verse number nine or verse number eight. Don't skip past it. Look at verse number eight. Unto the angel of the church at Smyrna write, these things, now watch, saith the first and the last who was dead and is alive. Hey, church at Smyrna, you are enduring. You are going through great persecution. Stay at it. Hey, church at Smyrna, stay faithful. Oh, by the way, you wanna know why you can stay faithful? Because I'm behind you. I am writing to you. The Lord is not encouraging faith over fear from the position of weakness. Jesus is offering faith over fear from the position of conqueror. Hey, you can stay, hey, you, you have a new life waiting for you. Fear none of these things. All they can do is terminate this earthly life, but that is just the beginning. The Lord encourages this faith over fear. He wrote this through John to the believers at Ephesus when John was pastoring, you are of God, little children have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Remember what Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, Christian, I just wanna tell you, the Lord encourages you no matter what you go through. Listen, no matter what that doctor says, no matter what the circumstance is, hey, you can move forward in faith over fear. Now, let me, let me tell you, it is not faith without fear. That is impossible. It's impossible. Why? Fear is an emotion that is a part of you and I. And for someone to say, oh, I don't fear anything, they are lying straight through their teeth. <laughs> it is not faith without fear. It is faith over fear. Hey, choose faith. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of everything going on, choose faith. Oh, fear's gonna be there. Don't choose it. Don't lean into fear. Lean into faith. So the Lord encourages faith over fear. Last lesson we can learn is this, and don't miss it. You've got it because of who he is. The beginning of the letter to the church at Smyrna, the note to the church at Smyrna, the message to this church, and the end, don't neglect it. The beginning, 
These things saith he who is the first and the last, he who was dead and yet is alive. The end, to him that overcometh, you will not see the second death. Why is that hopeful? Because it is the Lord telling this church, you've got it. Stay with me. You've got it because I've got you. Hey, church at Smyrna, you've got this because I'm holding you. Hey, you're undergoing great persecution. You've got it because I've got you. Remember what the Lord said that when we get saved, that we are in the hand of Christ and that is in the hand of God. Eternal security, assurance of salvation, assurance of the hope of who Jesus is. Hey, we are victors because of the victor. Whom shall I fear? We just sang the song. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. It's the God of angel armies. He's on my side. Hey, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what circumstances you're facing. I don't know what frustration is in your life. But here's what I want to tell you today. Here's the message from God to us. You've got this. Why? Because I've got you. Well, but pastor, what if this leads to death? Then it's just the beginning. You want to know why a Christian can look at death and say, bring it on? It's because it's just the beginning. Paul said, but our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it will vanish away. And one day you will be face to face with the Savior forever. So he says, these things say at the first and the last, he who was dead, but he's alive. Church at Smyrna, you've got this because I've got you. A minute ago, we left Germanicus there in the stadium. His body just laying on the ground, the lion not playing, not causing blood and guts, not giving people the show they wanted. So in this spirit of rage, the people begin to cry out, more down with the atheists. But somebody from the audience shouted out these words, go get Polycarp. Hey, go get Polycarp. Go get the old pastor. Down with the atheist Polycarp. Kill the pastor. Well, some Christians who were outside of the stadium watching to see what was going on, they quickly left. And this is recorded, us, recorded for us in history by the church at Smyrna, many believers who wrote about this that we have accounts for today. They went and they found Polycarp, this man who at this time was probably 86 to 92 years old, still pastoring the church at, uh, at Smyrna. They went and they got Polycarp and they quickly fled into the country and they fled into some of their country houses of some Christians that they knew. Well, the Roman soldiers who would the proconsuls, what they were called, who would pursue him, they sent the Roman soldiers, the guard, out to arrest him. Word got to them where he was. So as they were approaching the first house, Polycarp, uh, led by a few other Christians, went to another house in the, in the country. Story tells us that eventually people, they caught up to Polycarp. But here's what took place. Before they caught up to Polycarp, he came down to his host at the house that he was hiding at. And he said, I'm not running anymore. The Lord has told me that I will be burnt alive at the stake and I'm okay with that. The soldiers came and they pounded on the door. Polycarp himself opened the door and he brought them in. Enter. And he said to the owners of the house, bring meat, bring drink and let's host our guests. And they sat down and they fed the arresting soldiers. During that time, one of the arresting soldiers said to his commander, why are we after such an aged man? He is of no threat. I know, but orders are orders. 
Polycarp sitting there, he stood up and he said, gentlemen, before you take me in, and I'm paraphrasing, before you take me in, may I have time to pray? And they said, yes. And Polycarp went to the middle of that room and he knelt down and he began to pray. And for two hours, Polycarp prayed audibly to the Lord giving the gospel in his message, giving, his, giving the gospel to the soldiers in his, as a part of his prayer. Lord, I'm thank you that I can know for certain that heaven is where I will spend eternity because of your son, Jesus Christ, and begin praying for the people and the soldiers and for courage and for the spirit of the Lord to work in his life. When Polycarp got up, none of the soldiers wanted to arrest him. But they knew if they didn't, they would serve the same fate. Polycarp, some right, convinced them to take him in. They get Polycarp, they begin making their way back to town. Pretty soon people are seeing and now people are gathering, all the people of Smyrna, and they're shouting down with the atheists and they immediately take Polycarp into the Colosseum. As Polycarp enters the Colosseum, I want to read to you what takes place. It is, it's amazing, amazing story. As he was going to the arena, witnesses say that they heard a voice that said, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Of course, the people were waiting as they brought him into the arena and they begin shouting down with the atheists. The proconsul yelled to Polycarp, Polycarp, deny Christ and we will let you die an old death. And Polycarp lifted his own hands up and he said, down with the atheists. They said to Polycarp, Polycarp, swear against Christ and we promise you we will make you free. And his response, 86, 80 and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? And then he prayed, I bless thee for deigning me or allowing me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. The proconsul kept insisting, saying to Polycarp, swear by the divine power of Caesar. And Polycarp answered, if you vainly suppose that I will swear by the divine power of Caesar, as you say, and if you pretend that you do not know who I am, listen plainly, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn the Christian message, arrange a meeting and give me hearing. The proconsul said, well, I have wild animals. I'll throw them to you unless you change your mind. And Polycarp replied, call them in. You threaten with fire, or the, the, uh, then the proconsul said this, scorn the wild beast and I will burn you alive if you don't change your mind. Polycarp responded, you threaten with fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched. You don't know about the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. Why are you waiting? Come and do what you will. Writers say that Polycarp radiated courage and joy as he said these things and many others. Not only did his face show of no, no sign of distress, it was so full of grace that the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald into the middle of the arena to shout three times, Polycarp has declared that he is a Christ follower. Polycarp has declared that he is a Christ follower. At the herald's announcement, the whole crowd began to roar with a loud cry. People begin to cry out, this is the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods, who teaches many to stop offering sacrifice to gods. And shouting with one voice, they demanded that Polycarp be burned alive. They say that it happened so fast that Polycarp was quickly bound and people brought sticks and much into the middle of that arena to burn Polycarp alive. He was only able to take off his outer coat and unfasten his belt. He went to try to take off his shoes, but before he could do that, they were piling wood around him. They bound his hands and they went to nail him to the stake. 
And Polycarp said, leave me the way I am. He who gives me the power to endure the fire will help me to, re to remain in the flames without moving, even without being secured by nails. As he's bound in the middle of that flame, Polycarp prayed this prayer. Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers of all and of all creation and of the whole family of the righteous who live before you. I bless you for considering me worthy of this day and hour of sharing with me the martyr's cup of your Christ so as to share in the resurrection to everlasting life of soul and body in the Holy Spirit. May I be received among them into your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice because this, for this and for everything, I praise and glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved child. Through him and with him, may you be glorified with the Holy Spirit both now and forever. Amen. When he said amen and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit it. The great flame blazed up quickly. And this is the account. We who were given the privilege to witness it saw a great miracle. And we have been kept alive so that we might report to others what happened. The fire took the shape of a vaulted room, like a ship's sail filled with wind. And it surrounded the body of the martyr like a wall. He stood inside of it not as burning flesh, but as bread that is being baked or gold and silver that is refined in a furnace. And we smelled the fragrant aroma like the scent of incense or other costly spices. Seeing that his body could not be consumed by the fire, the proconsul sent in an executioner. The executioner went in and stabbed Polycarp to death. They say that blood came out and the blood from this martyr, he bled so much that it quenched the fire around him. Pastor, why tell us this? Well, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here's the question I want to simply pose to you today. It's one question. If many generations of believers can die for him, what's your excuse for not living for him? What's my excuse? Oh, well, I just don't have time. Hey, they had time. They gave their life so you could know the gospel. Well, it's just not high on my priorities. Hey, he who was and is and is to come, he is with you. Put him on your priority list at the top. If many generations of believers can die for him, can we live for him? Christian, can I tell you this? Three words. You've got this. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the suffering. I don't know. I don't know. There, there might be persecution. There might be some form of it. And again, I'm not trying to negate suffering that you and I go through. But here's what the Lord says. You've got this because I've got you. God gave them strength to receive Jesus, and live with courage in the face of persecution. If you know Christ as Savior, God gives you strength to live for him this week. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. The author writes, if you are reading this, listen, hear, and apply. And Christian, if God gave them the faith and courage to stand in the face of persecution and die for him, I believe that God 
will give us the faith and courage to stand in the face of trials and to live for him. Ask the Lord today, God, would you help me to stop living in fear and choose faith? But maybe you're here this morning and you're living in fear because you don't know Jesus as your savior. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, today could be the day where you put your faith and your trust completely in him. Right there where you're seated, you could pray and ask God, God, forgive me of my sin. God, come into my life and save me. If God has spoken to you today as a Christian, if you know the Lord, would you commit today, God, help me to realize I've got this because I've got you. Give me courage and faith like those who have gone before.